Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we're doing the ninth Best Picture winner, The Great Ziegfeld, of the Ziegfeld Follies, and in which every attempt we made to get this episode out was met with folly. Yeah, so uh, this is a re-record several weeks after we both watched the movie for the initial recording, so... uh... Yes, this is going to be a fun I one. Lost that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. Accidents happen. So, a little bit of background. This is a 1936 musical drama that is a fictionalized tribute to Florence Ziegfeld Jr. and it's a cinematic adaptation of Broadway's Ziegfeld Follies. So, what the Follies were were like a series of elaborate theatrical reviews that ran on Broadway from 1907 to 1931. And they were very famous for like the display of many beautiful chorus girls who were like super elaborate costumes and were just kind of like placed around these insane set pieces. So you do get to see quite a few musical numbers. Some might say too many musical numbers and over the course some, of the movie. We mean both of us say too many. <laughs> yes, there are quite a lot. But um, you know, there are definitely there's one clip in particular I'll try and find and like post on the Instagram that is like the most insane set piece and it will give you an idea of kind of the scale we're talking about. Was this the wedding cake one? The, the like, yeah, the giant set? like tiered. Okay. We'll thing. get to that in a bit, yeah. but that was actually an interesting part of the movie. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so this was directed by Robert Z. Leonard. It stars William Powell as Ziegfeld, uh, Louise Reiner as Anna Held and Myrna Loy as Billy Burke. Um, the set we were kind of just referring to, just kind of a fun bit of trivia, apparently cost $220,000 at the time, which was insane. Yeah, I want to say that was like a couple... Hold on. Let me see exactly uh, how yeah, much it Yeah, just was jump back in once you get that calculation do. done. Um, and it features a rotating set that is 70 feet tall... No, 70 feet in diameter and has 175 spiral steps. So like, it's that crazy. is the type of thing we're talking about. Music was by Walter Donaldson, Irving Berlin, and Harold Adamson. Costumes by Adrian, one yeah. of our favorites. Costumes or gowns? <laughs> I think this one was costumes. But yeah, Adrian, famous designer. I think we've brought him up multiple times on this podcast already, um, but known especially for very like elaborate dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, now, really quickly before you go further, yeah, that's $3.9 million in 2017. Cool, for one set piece. Just one. Just one. <laughs> um this was actually one of the biggest film successes of the 1930s, even though I think Ian and I can, you know, spoiler, both agree it doesn't necessarily age super well. Well, and I think part of that might have been the fact we didn't see it on a big screen. Yes, I, I actually 30s. would be very, well, I'd be very curious just like big screen now, mm-hmm. how that would kind of change our perception. Because I could see where if you're, you know, looking at these massive elaborate sets and like costumes and like dance scenes on like a massive screen it might be a little bit more like I don't know impactful I guess impactful intriguing maybe I don't know um so awards and nominations one for best picture obviously Louise Reiner one for best actress hands down agree with that oh yes, I thought she was phenomenal in my mind she carried the movie every scene she was in I was like sit up a little bit straighter and I was like yes Um, Well, it's sort of like Lionel Barrymore, treasure. Yeah, oh, such a treasure. Um, It won Best Dance Direction, and I think this was one of the last years that that category was included, but I may be wrong. I'm I'm not 100% sure there, but I do know that was for the scene with the, you know, $4 million set piece. So they they pulled out all the stops for that. Oh, yeah. 
It was nominated for Best Art Direction, but lost to Dodsworth. And Leonard was nominated for Best Directing, but lost to Frank Capra for Mr. Deeds. It was also nominated for Film Editing and Original Screenplay. I have issue with the film editing. Choices needed to be made and more stuff needed to be cut. But uh, Well, okay. From that perspective, yes. I was about to be like, I didn't think the editing was bad No, it so wasn't much bad. As... There just need to be more of it. Uh, yeah, um, it was just rambling. Yeah, this was also the first time the Best Supporting Actor and Actress categories were included. So if you remember from our Mutiny on the Bounty episode, um, because three of the actors from that movie got nominated for Best Actor, they introduced the supporting categories so that you wouldn't have like that competition for one movie. And you, you know, if you had multiple actors or actresses in a movie that really made that movie great, then they could also get recognized. I'm a fan. I I like that change. Oh, yeah. Um, Other nominees really quickly for our last bit of background. So Anthony Adverse, Dodsworth, Libeled Lady, which I highly recommend everyone watch. Another William Powell, Myrna Loy. Um, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, San Francisco, The Story of Louis Pasteur, A Tale of Two Cities, and three smart girls. And then also, so William Powell was actually nominated for Best Actor, but not for this. He was nominated that year for My Man Godfrey. Interesting. Which I've not seen, but I always hear as like the quintessential Powell film. So special episode list. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. So moving on to watch notes, I think. Absolutely. So we open up at the Chicago World's Fair, mm-hmm. which I really like the sets and the design in this I one. I thought it was a it great was, opening. It was beautiful too. Oh, yes. And I will say like visually it is a very nice film. I think, yes. you know, up front, all the problems that I had with it were pacing and script related. Mm-hmm. And I thought, again, the acting was very good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Powell. So he's, he's going to do a good job. Powell, I think William Powell is maybe one of the few actors who could have done this part like, and still made you kind of okay with the character. Because, mm-hmm. spoiler, is it like a little shady? That's an understatement. A lot shady. Yeah, very. Um, but Powell's just so charming. Although, at the, I will say at the beginning, because it starts in where, I can't remember which World Fair it is, but we're in like Edwardian... It's Chicago World's Fair, yeah. Right, right, but I don't know, remember the year. Oh, it's like yeah, but it's like Vict- or Victorian Edwardian era, and Powell felt like a little modern for that, and he felt like a little old well, at the very beginning part. It's a biopic. It's pretty yeah. idealized in its execution, especially because it's um his widow actually sold the rights to make this film to oh, help yeah. pay off of his estate. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't call this a documentary by any means. Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely biopic. Yep. (laughs) Um, And I think it does, you know, suffer from some of the kind of what I think of as like classic biopic problems. Like what? So a lot of times when I watch a biopic, I'm sitting there thinking like, cool, but what's the point? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, because you're following, you know, technically a person, but they're really a character because mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's always fictionalized stuff. It's someone's interpretation of someone else. Like they're a character. But, so you're following this character usually throughout their entire life or a large chunk of their life. Yes. And in the end, I'm always a little bit like, okay, what did I learn? What's the point? Like, and with this, it kind of felt the same way where I was like, okay, like I know more about this person to a certain extent, but like, why? So I, f- I feel like biopics in general they tend to lack sort of like a theme sometimes and then they also tend to drag because well, it's the this idea was of a three-hour marathon yes, yes it's the idea that we must show like everything in a person's life mm-hmm. whereas i'm like my favorite biopics i think 
they'll show you a large chunk of someone's life, but they really sort of like pick an area and they focus on it. So um, this is a re-record, so I don't feel bad saying this, but like the next picture after this one, Life of Emil Zola, I think does that, where they... It's focused very much yes. on how he handled the trial. The Dreyfus um, Affair. Yeah, the yeah so they affair. kind of like, you know, it spans more than that, but they very much like picked a part mm-hmm. of his life to focus on. And I think they could have done a little bit more of that here. Agreed. So the Follies are a big cultural touch point, but also things like Showboat and all of the stuff that he did later in life, that almost would have felt more relevant to me. But again, that's me watching it here in 2018. Yeah. Well, and I, the stuff and I guess with the, like, that would have been like, very contemporary yes. for them at the time. But that, that would have been more interesting yeah. to me since it's what has the staying power. Yeah. But anyway... Back to the movie. <laughs> Sorry, back to the very beginning. <laughs> we got Maggie on a rant about biopics, so. <laughs> it's easy, surprisingly easy to do. Um, but we have uh, Zigfield managing this sideshow with uh, Sandow, the yes. strongman. Yes. And it's not going so well. Like, it's not even a full theater. Because I remember there were a couple people that's like, why do we have to sit so far back when there's so many empty seats? And yeah. Zigfield does not like this. He's like, no, build no. the set bigger, hire more steps, which... That particular motif comes back, yes, so did want to highlight that. But they're in competition with a belly dancer across the little path there mm-hmm. that's... Called Little Egypt. Yes. Um, and I actually... So she's not on screen very much, but I really liked that actress's performance. It took a lot to track down her name because she wasn't like a big actress. Um, she was billed as Miss Morocco, so I'm assuming she was some sort of nightclub act or something. Hmm. Okay. Um, who they brought in, but like I thought she and Powell had like good chemistry. I thought she matched his energy very well, which is mm-hmm. hard to do, I think, with Powell. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so like I don't she had some zingers, like uh oh, there's one that like her manager says something about like you don't want to talk to him, like basically he'll like take you for a ride or something. And um she was like, eh, not if I met him on the right night. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's not going to take any crap there. Yeah, no. Um, I also really like the writing for Sandow when it came to Little Egypt because it's something he said something about everybody wanting to go see the woman make wiggles. Which, <laughs> <laughs> that was such a funny way to put belly dancing, but the writing was really good in that part. I, yeah, I thought, um, and I really did like how Ziegfeld managed to construct some drama to help drum yes. up publicity. Well, you kind of see him get that first realization from the competition with the Little Egypt Act. And the manager for the Little Egypt Act is kind of, I would say, like the frenemy of Zigfeld. Yes, Billings. They, they're always in sort of a friendly competition with each other. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what he learns from the Little Egypt thing is like sex sells. And that's when he has Sandow hands-on with the ladies yep yep he starts like letting women like feel sandal's muscles which i was like oh poor sandal yeah that that was kind of uh, i mean but but yeah but it's also like interesting i don't know it was interesting to me for like an early 30s film that you also got like some male objectification yeah which is not something you see really uh, in I'm, that era. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to think of another example and I can't come up with anything. Like surely there's a pre-code or two somewhere that mm-hmm. deal with that. But like, yeah. Well, that's one of those things where I don't think we see that too often now even. So definitely, definitely more, not as much but, as like uh female objectification. Yeah. Um, but that was, yeah, that was interesting, but I did, I did feel sorry for Sandow. <laughs> yes. But this turns into a whole big success, which is nice. And Mm -hmm. again, sex sells. Little Egypt and Sandow can pull it off if they need to. Yep. Um, And they go on travel, uh, like a traveling tour. 
And this is where you start to get a full flavor of Ziegfeld's like unscrupulousness. Yes, basically that he is like anything for the publicity. Exactly. Like anything to sell seats like and make it bigger, make it extra. I think I have a note in here that I was like, this is also extra. All but like of it. he has uh, Sandow quote fight a quote man eating lion, aka it later comes out that the lion was like drugged. Well, and in the scene, you see the lion just like pass out as soon yeah, as yeah, he like walks out of the cage and just like flops down. Um, and of course, there's like you know our first of multiple newspaper headline montages. I think I have a note that's like drink every time there's a newspaper headline in this movie. Well, it seems to be like all films of this era. (laughs) But this one, I mean, I would say all films of this era have at least one or seem to have at least Mm -hmm. one. Ziegfeld has like four. Ziegfeld has five of everything. So true. Well, and I mean, I I get it because that is their method of moving along the story. But Mm -hmm. I don't think we needed it quite so much. Like, I think it would have been effective here. But then we didn't need it later. Yeah, with the like Anna held headlines when they're back in New York and things like that. It's like even, well, or especially because yeah. in the time people knew what was going on. I, it was way too I much. I think, you know, if they had chosen it to condense this one very early part, then like I'm fine with it. But when they mm-hmm. like continually use it, I'm like, just make some choices. Yeah. Just make some choices and cut some stuff. Anyway, they now get run out of, I believe this was California that they were in. When I that don't happened. remember. <clears throat> Somewhere. But they're on a boat. Well, actually, I think Sandow's gone at this point. Yeah, but um, Billings is on a boat with uh, some performer who he's basically going to sign to his show. Mm-hmm. And, and he's going they're, to pick they're somebody talking, else. Yes, and he's going to Paris specifically to uh, go get Anna Held who is this uh, French actress who's like up and coming and all this stuff. Or no, he's going to London to get her. Yes, he? yes. Yes. He's going to London, London, but she's a French actress. Um, and he's chatting with the other actress on the boat. And I literally laughed at this when he's talking about Ziegfeld. He's like, the cops probably have him. And then you see Ziegfeld walk across the boat because Billings had already like mentioned that he was going after Anna Held. And you can tell that like, that, that's also Ziegfeld's plan. And Billings knows it's Ziegfeld's plan. And so he's like, Oh, shit. Exactly. I just, I love how Ziegfeld has shown to basically ride Billings' good talent scouting. Oh, yeah. Well, he also, like, steals Billings' um, manservant, too. Yes. And I love, there's a line later, so basically. We're in London now, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're off the boat. We're in London. Ziegfeld reappears and basically lets slip that he lost all his money in Monte Carlo. Um, Typical. Yeah. But he he's, at this point, stolen Billings's manservant and billing says something about it and Siegfeld says gentlemen don't quarrel over gentlemen's gentlemen <laughs> and it's i love to say that while i think there are a lot of problems with the script and there's was often too much dialogue the quality of the dialogue was still very good Agreed. like it, it's very quippy and very quotable and powell's delivery is so expert because everything's a throwaway Exactly, because yeah. he just doesn't he doesn't care, but but yeah, he doesn't he doesn't over deliver the quips. Yes. He just he lets them sit. It's brilliant. Exactly. So in that same scene, though, um, I do find it interesting how we get some of the characterization of the friendship between Billings and Ziegfeld, because mm-hmm. again, Ziegfeld lost all his money in Monte Carlo, and Billings, for some unknown reason just i don't know gives him five hundred dollars five hundred dollars okay remember that's like or i think it's pounds so i don't know what the exchange rate would have been but it's still a lot of money yeah oh yeah like 
Yeah, he just like gives it to him, and then uh, Ziegfeld like I think tips like the doorman or something with five pounds, and the guy goes, "Do you realize you gave me five pounds?" And he goes, "I'm trying to lose the weight." <laughs> and it's yeah again again clips. more good one-liners yeah but then we actually go to a scene that i really liked so this is you know we talked about there being too many musical numbers and too many performances this one i think was important agreed because the the performances that i had issue with were the ones that weren't moving the plot forward they weren't and this one did yes they weren't giving me anything you know plot driven they weren't showing me anything about character this is this entire number is centered around not necessarily the action on stage, but like what's going on between like Anna on stage and Billings in the audience and Ziegfeld in the audience. Yes. Cause Billings sees Ziegfeld. So the, I, I want to describe <laughs> the setup of this cause I really liked it. So you have Anna with a little parasol in like a very pretty dress on stage singing this very simple number. Um, and I think, is that the, the married one? No, I think that, oh, the... No, it is the married it one. It is, it's to the, be jolly. Yes. Jo- no, that one's in New York. That one's in New York. But, because I remember well, the... because I thought they used it multiple times. Oh. So I think it starts here. Please forgive my memory flubs. That's okay. All the musical numbers kind of run together. Yeah, I could be like completely <laughs> talking out of my ass right now. Like, I, I could be really wrong. She's singing a musical number. But she's singing a musical number, and I think it's the same musical number that gets recycled kind of as they show her rise to fame. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so she's on stage singing, and she starts with like singing, and she's making eye contact with Billings, who's like in a box to the left of the stage. And he's like smiling and then they're like kind of smiling at each other. And then you see her eyes look across the stage to the right to a box over there. And her expression, Louise Reiner is so good. Like her expression just changes and you immediately know that like there's someone in, over there that she is interested in. And Billings catches on and looks over and it's Ziegfeld. In so like you tux. get that rivalry there. Yes. And Ziegfeld <laughs> just like smiles at Billings and stuff. And so then the whole rest of the song, you kind of see Anna slowly paying like more and more attention to Ziegfeld. And you can see that there's like clearly some sort of chemistry mm-hmm. there. So well executed scene that again moved the plot. Yes. Forward. Again, like a musical number that I think was like super important to the plot of the film and to the characters. Well, I like... <sighs> The musical part of it, I'm kind of like, leave it or take it. Oh, oh I mean, what passed is a musical something. number in Victorian era. is pretty static. It's crazy. Um, Which I will say, that's an awesome contrast point to what Ziegfeld does later on in the film. Yes, so, well, and I think that's, you know, part of showing her rise to fame is showing that, you know, the scale he brought to her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but after this, we get another scene that I think, one highlights some of the pacing problems for the movie, but also really showcases Louise Reiner and mm-hmm. showcases her chemistry with Powell. Yes. So it's in Anna's dressing room and she's got like um, her like assistant who's there with her. And there's like a beautiful vase of orchids sitting Which, on her dressing can table. Can I point out here that Ziegfeld, spoiler alert, is the one who sent the flowers, took that $500 that Billings gave him. Oh, yeah. And like rented a tux, bought flowers, and is using it to like seduce Anna. Exactly. So Billings is his own downfall. I love it. (laughs) I actually really like Billings. I'm like, what a sweet soul who's like too nice for this business. He just gets screwed over so many times. He does, but he's always like so jovial about it. He's like, ah, ha, ha, he got me again. I don't understand. I'd be mad. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Billings, come on. This friendship is doing nothing for you. Um, (laughs) 
But anyway, so Anna sees the orchids and, you know, she's, of course, expecting to meet with Billings. And she discovers that this guy named Florin Ziegfeld Jr. sent in the flowers and she's like a little intrigued and he like wants to meet with her. So she's like, okay, and like lets him come in. But she's like kind of wishy-washy on it, which is, I think, the way Anna's character like will kind of waffle and go back and forth and like her lack, her inability to like keep conviction I think I would normally find very annoying in a I character. I found it annoying. <laughs> I didn't because of Reiner's performance. I thought she pulled it off very well, and she played Anna as, like, I think pretty endearing. I agree that she was endearing. Right. Where, it's, well, I, I think you're going to get to this, okay. where it was overdone, but it's like, they were trying to do something with the rule of threes, and I was like, "Oh, oh yeah. I needed to happen yeah. twice." Yeah, where yeah. she like waffles, yeah. three times. Um, which so is they too many. they have her do it in the script. Sometimes they'll have her like waffle a little bit too much. But like I I thought in general Reiner's performance, it was a character trait that would normally annoy me. Mm-hmm. But I thought the way she played Anna as being like she just played her as very like emotional and sensitive, and maybe not the smartest person, but like very much ruled by her emotions, mm-hmm. but also like capable of being very kind and like like you very much felt like Anna was the one being taken advantage of well yes but I will say kind of as a counterpoint to the maybe not being the smartest when she's in this negotiation with Ziegfeld yes because Ziegfeld comes in and Mm -hmm. he basically is like I also have a show and I will pay you more than Billings and like Basically, she like mentions that she's meeting with Mr. Billings, this American producer, and he's like, "I'm a producer too, and um, I, I've never heard of him. Like, are you <laughs> sure that like this is okay?" But she does show that she's a savvy businesswoman, right? Because she's I like, say, "I want more money." Yes. When I say not the smartest, I mean in terms of her personal relationships. Okay. Yes. yes. Let me clarify I think, that. I think that she because is she very much herself, has a head over. Yes, she proves herself very business savvy mm-hmm. um, because she's hardcore negotiating with Ziegfeld and basically when he's like I can't pay you right now and she's like Billings is gonna give me an advance get out (laughs) and then of course he like charms her and this is where we get kind of that waffle oh and that's the thing okay in this scene she kept going back to the flowers and I was like these fucking flowers need to leave the room they're clouding her judgment I know (laughs) but I think this is where they were like trying to play with the rule of threes where Anna's like no get out and then he kind of like talks his way back and or he'll start to leave and then she's like no wait come back Mm -hmm. and that happens and she does it through her uh handmaid yes. i guess that's who her assistant her assistant, I think it's like an yeah. assistant. Um, there is one part in particular where she's like marie open the door and marie it cuts to her and she's like we madam and she's already standing there with the door open like hat she and never cane closed in it because <laughs> she knew this was coming um but like you know i think with this the where the pacing was a problem and this is through much of the film is like they do the rule of threes but they don't do it fast enough yes like there's too much filler and like Ziegfeld's speeches to like win her back over are too long and they're too repetitive yes well and again didn't need that third third time which right. I enjoyed the or comedic the moment third with time, Marie the third but... time yes I think that's the second time or something but like the third time is fine if it was condensed mm-hmm. and a little bit more rapid pace which I mean I think really would have played into Powell's strengths anyway so especially with the way he's able to quip yeah. so yeah he is like quip master of the 1930s <laughs> so um he gets anna mm-hmm. they get to new york and this here you get another wonderful montage of newspapers and headlines so many. um anna's a star 
but it is stressing her out. But we get to my favorite part about the 20 gallons of milk. Yes. <laughs> I So basically, she gets really upset because someone has leaked to the press. Because it, you start to learn that, like, Anna, while she wants to be, like, famous and be a star and be, like, a great singer, she doesn't particularly like dealing with the press. At all. Ziegfeld loves the press. Well, you could tell, like, beginning with Sandow and Little Egypt. Like, oh, yeah. He manipulates He's the press all about like that publicity. Business. And so Anna's really upset because someone has leaked to the press that she takes a bath in 20 gallons of milk every morning. And she's very upset because she's like, it's stupid and it's wasteful and it's ridiculous. I don't do that. Why would someone say I do that? And it's like really upsetting her. It's interfering with like her voice lesson. And um, we find out Ziegfeld's the one who leaked it. And he's not paying the vendor too, which I was uh-huh. like, Okay, Ziegfeld. Because he, like, actually has the milk delivered. He, like, has 20 gallons of milk delivered to her every day and then leaked it to the press that's because she's bathing in it. And she's like, why are you sending me 20 gallons of milk a day? This is, like, why? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm with you, Anna. Why? Because, like, personally, I think that's a weird publicity stunt. But then I guess it's also, like, if you read that some celebrity took a bath in 20 gallons of milk a day, you'd be like, what the fuck? Exactly. Like, it would catch your attention. Well, and you had the wonderful scene with the audience members where we're two or three women talking through about, oh, my gosh, did you hear what she does? Her skin looks so great. And then one of them like bullshits and says, well, you know, I bathe in milk every day. Look at my skin. (laughs) I will say I really enjoyed those little comedic interludes quite a bit. Yeah. No, it's with Anna, though. It's ridiculous. Um, But that's where we started to see kind of the first breaks in their relationship. Yes, because we get uh, Audrey or Aubrey. I think it's Audrey. Audrey. Who I think she's like... She's one of the chorus girls in Anna's show. And like Ziegfeld, so he buys... Anna, it's like a, is it just a bracelet? It's like a bracelet, a necklace. It's like a jewelry set. But with more flowers, obviously. Yes. Always, always. Okay. So here's the two things. It's always orchids. And then there's always like this one distinct set of jewelry, like that Ziegfeld, like will give a girl. And like his, I believe it was like has, a diamond bracelet. Yeah. I think it's like a diamond bracelet or something, but he, he has one play in his book. Granted, it works for him basically the entire time, but judging. A lot. But yeah, so anyway, there's a scene where Anna's talking to the chorus girls and one of them, Audrey, is like, one day I'm going to get a bracelet like that. And she's like, yes, if you work really hard and pay your dues, you can, which I wanted to be like. Okay, and she had a line about suffering. Oh, yeah. And I was like, Anna, how the hell have you suffered? Come on now. <laughs> Granted, maybe we didn't see everything before London. True. But, but like, still. It was, it was a very patronizing speech and it does not go down well with Audrey. So then, of course... Fast forward a bit and we see Audrey has some orchids. Audrey has a diamond bracelet. Cut to massive musical number where Audrey is the centerpiece girl at the top of the giant rotating set piece. Yes. In, what, what was it, like 20 yards of ostrich feathers? White ostrich something? Oh yeah, it's something. insane. So I think, I believe this is the the one, we're, the number we were talking yes, about. Yes, a pretty yeah. girl is like a melody. And it's basically just this massive, massive rotating set. And as it rotates, there are like vignettes with like dancers in elaborate mm-hmm. costumes, and they're all like slightly different themed. So I think there's like rotates, 1700s. Yeah. Yeah. You get different parts of the set exposed. Mm-hmm. So you'd like just transition through and move up. Yeah. Now, and it was 175 steps, I believe. So talk about more steps. It, it was like three or four but steps. But I would tall. say it was this, huge. this is a. Like, if you just want to look up this number, like, this is a number worth watching. A pretty it, girl is like yes. a melody. Um, from the great Ziegfeld, 1936, because this really does 
I think, give you an idea of what the follies were. So, like, I would say this number should be in the film. Now, when they do, like, four other numbers from Follies shows, I'm like, no longer need this, even though the choreography costumes and set are amazing, and I respect that. It's entertaining, but doesn't move the plot. It's making this movie three hours long. Exactly. Now, I will say, like, you had some period gems, like... It's starting with a character in blackface, which I was like, oh, I guess we are still in the 30s. Come on now. What are we doing? And it was the janitor from earlier that Ziegfeld just like pulled into the show. That's the one thing that Ziegfeld does. He pulls random people into a show that I feel like we had too many minor characters, though. Like the janitor, um, Little Egypt, I thought was going to be like super important, but then like actually disappeared. Yeah, she completely disappears. Um, There's Mary Lou, who's like the kid who he knew who comes back later and there's like the weird scene where she hits on him as an adult and yeah it, it, he shuts that down but like hires her as a chorus girl but i was like why do we have mary lou we don't need her exactly it's just she's supposed to be hearkening back to a simpler time in your life i, I guess no idea. I, like it, it, was it was really dumb um but yeah so there there are definitely uh, yeah 30 30s films they have some uh, fun cultural reminders yes and by fun, we mean somewhat <laughs> Make abhorrent. you almost drop your drink because you're like, oh, God. Wasn't ready for that. Um, but no, I, I really like the rotating stage scene yes. overall, though. And this is the one that won for best dance direction. Because so, you have oh, giant yeah. sets of dancers dancing on these steps, like, like you know, props. 50 feet in the air. They're like in heels. dancing, too. Like spinning. I don't know how they do it. There's no guardrail on that set. Like that entire, like that was the entire set. Like it was, like it was humongous and they were all on it and then the camera's just moving up as it Mm -hmm. i will say i also in the scene and maybe this is something that i have an issue with the follies overall is where it's like okay let me just use pretty women as set pieces oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) and i'm like uh, once again those cultural reminders that make us go oh yeah and it's like if you're dancing and doing stuff and like participating in the show no but it's literally a lot of just like very pretty young girls and right. probably late teens, early twenties. And we're here to, and I'm sure that he got them by in elaborate them, costumes, like, often kind of scantily dressed, just like sitting there smiling. It just feels very exploitative. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. um, I'm sure they were not paid well, but the costumes. Speaking of those again, thanks, Adrian. Adrian, they are absolutely amazing. I was getting massive Iris Van Herpen vibes <laughs> for some of those. Um, some really weird inventive things. Yeah. So next we just have sort of a compilation of uh, Ziegfeld gathering together various burlesque acts and like various musical numbers and then it's interspersed with a bit of plot. But we get some kind of cool cameos in these uh, like vaudeville acts that he starts bringing onto his um, shows. Yeah. So like one is uh, Fanny Bryce. So he goes to this vaudeville show. And Fanny Bryce played by the actual Fanny Bryce, super famous comedian. Well, and she had some great lines in there. So um, Ziegfeld goes backstage to try and see her. And she's like, who the hell is this person trying to impersonate Ziegfeld? Like, he's not here to see me. She plays a very unglamorous character. Yes. Well, I mean, she's like a burlesque show. Right, right. Which is considered lowbrow. It's very much like a self-deprecating, like very comedic character. And so, yeah, Ziegfeld has sent her orchids. Exactly. Shocker. Exactly. But also, there was some comment about a fur coat. Oh, and it's yeah. like, oh, this is real fur coat. I'm not turning this shit oh, down. Oh, yeah. At first, at first, she's like, that's a fake fur coat. And then after talking to him, she's like, I think it's a real fur coat. <laughs> but she also, and this kind of broke my heart, is 
because she knows who Ziegfeld is and she mm-hmm. knows what the follies are. There's like this assumption by Fanny that she's finally going to get to be glamorous. But then he turns her into singing this like dirge of uh, My Man, which I, I, I don't know if that was Billie Holiday who sung it at first, but... Fanny Bryce made it super famous. Oh my... Oh, oh, she did. I believe, okay. I believe she made Sorry, it super famous. I have my time all flipped up. I like Billie Holiday's version too, but this was well, that's beautiful. Billie Holiday's version of everything is I amazing. Mean, tr- truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought that was so cruel of Ziegfeld to like put her up here thinking she's going to be glamorous. And then she's like in rags. Yeah. Singing about how, I, I presume it was like her man left her, which even though that's not really what the song is about. I yeah. It, I don't know. I just felt really bad for her yeah. in this scene. And I was like, Ziegfeld, you're an asshole. Well, here's the thing. So we're shown over and over again how Ziegfeld uses people, usually women, but also poor Billings. Yeah. Um, but women he, and Billings. Yeah, women and Billings. Well, and Sandow. Yeah. <laughs> so people. Um, where Ziegfeld just uses people to kind of further his own, I guess, thirst for like fame on like a massive scale. But he's framed not as a villain like he's he's still very much sort of framed as a hero see i'm not sure i agree he was framed as a hero I mean, so not... much as he just was like what? i didn't okay no i'm gonna take that back because later on in the film when they start talking about his later musicals that he produced that is definitely very heroic feeling they like yeah like they it's not they don't frame him as a hero in that like it's this isn't like errol flynn's robin hood like mm-hmm. you know but it's they're <laughs> I don't know. and But he's not quite like anti-hero. Like it's just, I don't like him. Yeah, I don't either. Which I think is reasonable. Yeah. Especially because, you know, we see him growing further away from Anna. Well, because yes, during all of these like various musical numbers and sort of vignettes about the show, um, basically Anna discovers that he's cheating on her with Audrey, that chorus girl from earlier who got the bracelet she wanted. Mm-hmm. And this... This is the, the scene where I am like, this won her the Oscar right here because yes. it's such a simple line, but the delivery is amazing and the look on her face is so heartbreaking. I started to cry. She opens the door to the dressing room and well, it's- she, No, she didn't open it. It was open. Oh, it was just open. That's right. Yes. I'm sorry. Remember, yes. you could have closed the door. I sh- I'm going to say the line. I'm going to say the line. But yeah, so the door is just open and she walks in and it's like, Ziegfeld and Audrey like kissing or flirting they, or whatever. Well, they weren't doing anything because very Audrey was drunk oh, yeah. and Ziegfeld was trying to be like, what the hell are you oh, doing? Yeah. He's like, You're supposed Stop to be drinking champagne. Soon. But like, it's very clear that they're a thing. Mm-hmm. I think Audrey might kiss him or something, but um, there's just a look of heartbreak on Louise Renner's face. And she just says, you could have at least closed the door and, but like says it so softly and in such a way that I was like, Oh my God, Anna, you poor thing. Like it's, it was the perfect kicked puppy delivery. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, amazing. my heart just broke for her. But yeah, and then but then I got really worried because I was like, wait, does that mean we're not going to see Louise Reiner anymore in this film? Because right now she's carrying this sucker on her shoulders. But we got to see more of her. It's okay. Thank goodness. Oh, but shouldn't have panicked. I'm pretty sure this is when we go into the next Follies musical. Yeah. Number, it, yeah. Which the one scene that I really enjoyed was when all the dancers come out of bed and pop champagne. Yeah, I was and like, I, was I like, want bedposts that have champagne bottles in them. Exactly. So again, sets were gorgeous. If you really want to spend half an hour watching a musical number, be my guest. Well, it's also a musical number that's just a musical number. With no plot. 
Yeah. It's just dancing and music. Which is great, but like, I don't, you know, when your movie's three hours long, like maybe we could just trim it back a bit. Like 10 minutes. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, Ziegfeld and Audrey continue to be a thing. Audrey's drunkenness starts to become more of an issue. She embarrasses him pretty publicly. And so he breaks it off with her. And Thank goodness. Yes. Next talks to Billings. Who Billings? Oh, Billings. Oh, Stop Billings. telling Ziegfeld things. Yes. <laughs> if you are going after a new act, don't tell the person who has consistently poached them from you. But he does. He does. And he tells Ziegfeld about Billy Burke. So Billy Burke, of course, actual actress. Everyone probably knows her best as Glenda the Good Witch in Wizard of Oz. Yes. Which apparently there was, I believe it was Billy. Um, there was some drama about Billy not being played by Billy. Like really? the actual Billy Burke, I believe, was really upset that she didn't get cast, especially because she was under contract to MGM at the time. Oh. So fun little side drama there. That makes sense. <laughs> and it's not like she would have been like too old for the part or anything either. Exactly. So, anyway. Oh, because she's played by Myrna Loy. Though, mm -hmm. I mean, granted, if you have a chance to put Myrna Loy and William Powell in a film together, you put Myrna Loy and William Powell <laughs> in a film together. They are, I think, my favorite, like, on-screen pair. And they actually made, I think, three or four films together that year. So this one, After the Thin Man, and um, Libeled Lady. Well, you can tell that they're used to working together. Yes, I really because the chemistry is absolutely instant the minute because they're at like a masked ball, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they go to the balcony. Is yes. That scene well, at first they there? they're like dancing together, and you can see because it's like one of those dances, like old timey dances, where it's like you start with one partner, and then it's like complicated movements, and then at some point you are like rotating partners, and so Ziegfeld is very clearly like maneuvering to become Billy's dance partner, and Billings sees it happening and is like trying to like yeah. counter maneuver but him. But no, I didn't Ziegfeld like pay off the band or something to do the switches at the right time. I think so, I, probably. <laughs> I was like, that's such a Ziegfeld. Meanwhile, move. like Ziegfeld and Billy are like making eyes at each other, and like the chemistry is undeniable because it's Myrna Loy <laughs> and William Powell. And I really love their scene together after the ball mm -hmm. when they're on the bench together. Yes, they're well. Um, first, not only is it gorgeous. First, they're out at the balcony. Let's talk about that balcony. Okay. Scene at the ball so Ziegfeld has not actually introduced himself yet and he says something about I think either he or she brings up the name Ziegfeld and she's like oh he yeah does. I don't think I'd like him Ugh. and, and like, yes. it's like it's that so classic stab his heart yeah do it's it. that classic like <laughs> dramatic like, irony yeah but it's Ish. like you see I feel like you see a lot in like romantic comedies and stuff where it's like the love interest doesn't realize that they're talking to the person who they are and so they like bash them and then they find out they're like oh my god i'm so sorry and they're like no but that was the truth about me and i needed to hear it so I we have hate, a little bit I of that i hate that trope so much except for that it's Myrna Loy and william powell so everything's okay, good that one was fine but i also i just i really <laughs> also, hate it really is a slime ball <laughs> i mean that's part of it but also like in general if you really hate this person and they sound like a horrible person why are you gonna fall in love with them at all why are you apologizing after you find out who they are i would just be like eh, this okay, is awkward peace. um I'm going to leave now. Exactly. Anyway, sorry. That is like a larger <laughs> yeah, gripe no. that I have with those sorts of setups. We're all about the rants today. Me on biopics, you about romantic comedy tropes. Um, <laughs> At least there's no meat cute or cute meat. It's a meat cute. We've been over there. <laughs> um, but anyway, so is, I think this is when we cut to the scene on the bench where they're at the battery. Yes. And it's moonlit. Yes. And it's gorgeous. I loved this scene. Also... 
William Powell and Myrna Loy, again, amazing and chemistry, so amazing because we get to see a little bit of like Billy's quick wit again. And it's basically like him telling her that he loves her and like he wants to marry her. But I like that he like insists on her looking out into the harbor as he tells her, like he can't quite fully say it to her face because this one is very different, I think, from the relationship with Anna and Audrey and Mm -hmm. the reason it's shot this way of just them on a simple bench by the harbor under the moonlight is because it's not the grand showmanship. It's not the giant vase of orchids. It's not, you know, it's... It's genuine this time. Yes, like there's a genuineness to it (laughs) and it's like a private moment instead of like the big public display like we're used to seeing from Ziegfeld. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they stayed together to the end, so I... Or until he died, so. Yeah, so they were doing something. Yeah, I'm assuming it was working out well. Because, like, we see their house, and holy shit, I'd move in. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, like, I just, I really liked that scene, and I liked them together, and I liked the contrast with, like, the other relationships that had happened in the movie. I didn't get that the first time, but I love, love how that contrasts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm totally here for that. But we now get more of... Uh, Miss Reiner, which yes. this scene is amazing. Oh, so this is, she hears about uh, Ziegfeld and Billy's marriage. Mm-hmm. And again, absolutely heartbreaking. And we get kind of her waffling in those rules of threes, but it works here because the pacing was a little bit better. Yes. <laughs> um, where she's like talking to Marie, her assistant, and she's like, at first very devastated. And then she's like, no, 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 I should be happy for him. I should be happy for him. Marie, I should call him. I should call him and congratulate him. And so she like gets Marie to start dialing. Then she's like, no, Marie, I can't talk to him. I can't face it. I can't bear it. And then she's like, but I can. But I should call him. I should call him. And then she finally does. And I think it's just her on the phone, right? Like a close up on her face as she like kind of delivers her little prepared speech. And yeah. And it's like, I'm so happy for you. I'm glad. I'm so happy oh. that you're happy. And But you see how torn up she is inside. And this again if it wasn't the you could have at least closed the door scene, it was this scene. Yes, yes. Because, again, the depth of emotion that she's able to show without this is This is why effort. this works. Okay, this is why this works. Because every single emotion that character feels, Louise Reiner makes you believe is genuine. Oh, it's, not that yes. she, it's not that she's really sad but calls him because she thinks she should or because she wants to put on face or something. It's that she both genuinely can't bring herself to call him and genuinely is happy that he is happy and genuinely wants to hear from him again. Like it's all of that at once, like Uh, battling on one person's face. That's the part that's amazing. So yeah, basically what we're saying here is you can just watch the scenes with Louise Reiner. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. Like, or at the very least, like look up some of her scenes because like the performances are, they're Beautiful. so good. If you need a good so cry, good. watch the you could have at least closed the door scene. <laughs> exactly. And I think, oh, what do we get? We get more, another another musical number. Probably. At, and I at think, this point. I think we, we kind of, you know, we're head towards the end now. So we get to see kind of Billy and Ziegfeld's life together. And he's also going through a series of flops. Yes. So he's like super poor. Yeah. Which he goes through boom and bust cycles this entire film. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not surprised, but it's it's interesting that what we're able to see 
is how the cultural tastes have changed over mm-hmm. his lifetime. Because now the follies are just like not. They're not cutting it anymore. They're really not. Basically, Ziegfeld, there's a scene where he's in a barber shop and there are these three men sort of bashing him. They don't realize he's there. Classic. Oh, yeah. Um, And they're like, yeah, he'll never have another hit. And Ziegfeld stands up and is like, fuck you. I will have another hit. In fact, I will have four in the same year. And he does it somehow with yes, showboat. Which, and and... I, oh, I love this. I love the what, what he does too is he invites the, he has somebody track down those three guys and invites them to his office and is like, I would like to provide you and your wives tickets to all four of my shows. Name your night. Uh, it is the classiest fuck you I've ever seen. But I'd still take the tickets. I don't oh, yeah. Care. <laughs> I'd be like, nah, man, you were right. Are they box seats? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sell my soul for balcony. No, no, no. Box? Mm, yes. yes. But this was another place where they had like a montage going where I was kind of like, yeah. okay, Though, you had to show the marquees of I, all of the I shows, liked the way but... this worked because they parallel it later, which is really nice. So they have like it's you know the black background you have the marquees lighting up and as the marquees light up you have like songs from the shows being played um some of them i had never heard of like that three musketeers one and after hearing a bit of the song that they had overlaid i understand why i've never heard of that one it was not good oh did you watch it no 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 no, no. they just play a snippet of the song in the movie and i was like ooh. um but like i didn't know he did showboat which like you were talking about talking That's about the like a cultural legacy. Yeah, I think that was the only one I there was like one other that I recognized, but I I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, some marquees lining up and then songs from the show playing over. And I think there's some double exposure with like scenes from the Yeah. Shows. Which is supposed to be like, oh, look at all this amazing stuff that happened and And stock market crash. Womp. So apparently he put like fifteen million in today's dollars into the stock market of his money and lost all of it yep i didn't realize it was that much money and, and, and poor billy has to go back to work they basically like he's so sad that like she has to work and i was like she's a super successful actress though like it's not like she she's not doing going she to dig ditches yeah like she's good loves it and makes good money like i don't understand what our issue is chauvinism well it's the whole like 1930s <laughs> breadwinner all that bullshit um but as this is where they come back with the marquee shot that I love. Mm-hmm. So when the stock market crashes in order to show his him losing everything, you have one by one the songs fade and the marquee blinks out. That I until did. it's just black. And I really liked that. Yes. I what what I would have liked to have seen is them cut both of the earlier montage type scenes like this. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, For sure. Did not need the headlines. No, no, no. They needed they needed to pick ones like there were there were certain transitions and certain like numbers and stuff that i think were done exceptionally well and then they just had well they did it too many times yes. it's it's like the rule of threes thing where you if it's not gonna work don't follow it like if yeah. it screws up your pacing that's or, gonna be or more fix important. it somewhere else so that that will work but yeah exactly. I, I, but i did really like that shot and kind of that like visual symbolism mm-hmm. that was nice but that leads us into, I believe, the final scene of yeah. this film, which is which Ziegfeld's death scene. Felt like four scenes. The scene dragged. It did, but it has him on a chair overlooking the Ziegfeld Theater. Yeah. Um, like from across the street or something. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked that they did age him because yes, and I think I think he happen. and Billy. I couldn't tell if they were. I don't think they were separated, but she was like working a show, and she had been on the phone with like um 
the manservant and being mm-hmm. like, hey, he, I know he's not well right now. Like, just call me at intermission. Keep me updated. Yep. So this, you really got to see Billings and his friendship, which again, Billings, you're too good for this man. Why are you still giving him your time? But they have this thing about, oh, it was so great that we were able to do these shows. We're going to do it again. And they're both like bullshitting each other saying that they have money. They're so broke. They're both really broke. (laughs) It's, It's bad. But it's just really sweet to see how Billings, for some reason that I can't tell, still cares. yeah. Yeah. But uh, the scene was kind of sad, even though I'm not really sad. So I got really sad, but then it didn't end when it should have ended. It should have, that scene should have ended like three, like the movie should have ended some, at like three different points during that scene. Mm-hmm. And they'd like go and I'd be like, you know what? That was a nice ending. Oh, 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 we're not done. Okay. Okay. We're doing this again. And then I'd be like, okay, that was a nice thing. Oh, okay. Guess we're not never, done. Never mind. But Rule I of like, threes for yeah. comedy or for like a comedy joke. Not rule of threes for a death scene. Let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah. But I did the very final shot. I I did kind of like where it's like his hand Mm -hmm. dead in the chair. Yeah. Because it's like basically he goes still and I was like, oh, he died. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like very quiet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. But then it like zooms in on him and his eyes open up again. And then he's like doing this weird monologue about like his own legacy and like higher more steps again that yeah and then there's like weird devil exposure from like the shows that he had done and yeah but yeah he was like talking a little bit about his own legacy and something and it was like a little bit we don't need your soliloquy right now yeah it was a little like it didn't quite it didn't break the fourth wall but it like cracked it a bit and i was like i don't know it wasn't a great monologue like william powell did what he could with it but it, yeah, it again, it should have been. I would ended have much rather much liked the just like him quietly sitting in a chair overlooking the marquee. Mm-hmm. Like, and that'd be still. It. yeah. But, um, and then if, because then after he dies, we have to have like people discovering he's dead and calling Billy and then her like crying and like. Which I'm going to be honest, I didn't even need that part. I didn't either. Like, th- that's not part of his life. <laughs> So, sorry to fair be callous, enough. but no, fair enough. <laughs> like, I'm I'm curious how much of that was for the people that were involved in making it at that time. Yeah, because again, like as you mentioned, like Billy Burke's the one who sold the rights to the story in order to help pay off his debts that he left behind when he died, Jerk. and um, you know, it, this would have been very, very culturally culturally relevant for the time like let me see yeah so like this was made in 36 the follies had just stopped their run in 31 so like it was relevant yes so i i feel like there was like a sense of needing to have that like grandiose Mm -hmm. ending and like talk about the legacy and everything but like i don't know i didn't need it yeah which again could be a function of us watching it 70 years later yeah 80 years later. Yeah. But I would say, you know, kind of to slowly transition us into our lists, like in general, I thought Louise Reiner's performance was amazing. I think there are a couple of the musical numbers that are worth a watch. I think they did some nice stuff visually. Costume sets, absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, Well, and I'm going to go and say, I think all of the long musical numbers are worth watching. I just don't like how they fit in with the film overall. Like they're entertaining by themselves and didn't need to be part of this longer. Yeah. You only need like one or two to be part of the story to really give you what you needed to move the story forward. Again, it suffers from like the biopic 
problem of not really narrowing a focus and trying to show you too much. Yeah. And well, so in this, it kind of loses its way and, it, and like it, the writing has pacing issues. And Yeah. But it seems like they tried to do like a three act sort of deal, which yeah. I was kind of, eh, yeah. anyway, I three I act know. plus an epilogue. I will really... say, so I did look up what else was nominated that year since I had only seen one of the other nominations, um, which I really like Live Old Lady. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily give a best picture though. Well, then you're comfortable with Ziegfeld no, right now. No, I'm not comfortable oh. with Ziegfeld because <laughs> I looked what else was like done that year. Um, and I was like, okay, so what are some things that like, I like films that maybe I've heard from around that time or that I've seen, um, there's after the thin man, which I really like, but again, probably not best picture material. There's Camille, which is a Greta Garbo film, which I know, um, I've never seen, but I know it's like very, very well reviewed and very Mm -hmm. critically acclaimed, um, modern times, which is one of Chaplin's most famous uh, My Man Godfrey, which again, I haven't seen it, but Powell got nominated for Best Actor. I always mm-hmm. hear that. Like when you hear William Powell's name, you hear The Thin Man and you hear My Man Godfrey. Yep. There's also, this is the one that I think should have won. Mm-hmm. The Petrified Forest. And we should at some point watch that. Yeah. Even if it's I'm not totally for the game. podcast, but it's <laughs> it's basically like a very small contained film in one setting, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's so good. It's like Leslie Howard Bogart plays like, it's one of his earlier roles. He plays like a um, criminal who like holds this diner hostage out in the middle of nowhere, but it's like, Ooh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm game it's for really this. good, but it's, you know, something that has such a tight story and is so character focused. I mean, again, like I'm a sucker for good character, but yep. so, you know, I would give like that over Great Ziegfeld, but then also Great Ziegfeld has that sort of Oscar factor oh, of it, scale was, and being epic. And... Exactly, it was the 1930s equivalent to Oscar bait. Yeah, I know. Like, I would 100% agree. So, so anyway, yeah. rankings. Yeah, definitely. So I have the Great Ziegfeld at number seven. So that is after Cimarron, but before Cavalcade, and so that's where. I think Cimarron, I always mispronounce that. Anyway, it had problems that could have been fixed and made it a compelling movie. Ziegfeld, I'm not sure what you could have done to make it more compelling for me at least. Okay. Because it just, it fell flat. But that being said, it was still more compelling than Cavalcade, which again, (laughs) I'm of the opinion. Cavalcade has become our new punching bag. It It used to be Broadway Melody. And like, if I'm being honest, we've rewatched Broadway Melody recently. It's a lot more fun when you make fun of it. It was honestly, I had more fun watching it again than Cavalcade. Yeah. Well, it's just like I've come to the realization that Cavalcade is just a movie that is not for me. Like, oh, yeah. It's from a different time for a different audience, and that's okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, not for me. Um, So I have Ziegfeld at number six. So I have it before Cimarron and after Wings. And I actually really did toy as to whether I think it should go before or after Cimarron because I, I personally think that Cimarron had more problems than Ziegfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Just overall from construction, from just being problematic, from having character problems. Um, but I I had more fun, I think, talking about Cimarron. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, it could have been something so compelling. I think what would have fixed Ziegfeld for me is, again, making more choices on, like, what to cut and tightening up, like, the writing. Yeah. And the pace. Like, I think that would have actually made it a lot more enjoyable for me. And then also just, like, Louise Rayner's performance is, like, so standout. And I don't... There wasn't a performance in Cimarron that could touch her. That I agree with. 
I'm still not changing my ranking now. <laughs> yeah, this would have been your opportunity because it's a, a re-record. That's the only time we're <laughs> that is the only time we're allowed to change any of our rankings, guys, is um if we have to re-record the episode. Sorry. So no losing stuff on purpose. <laughs> did you lose some? No, you didn't because you didn't really, change your ranking. I did not lose this on purpose, I promise. <laughs> my bad. Okay. Um, anyway, so I think that wraps it up for the great Ziegfeld. Um, first off, I just wanted to say like, take this moment cause we're, I think on our 10th episode, right? This is the ninth. But it's like our 10th episode. Oh, you're right. Including a special Jaws. episode cause we have Jaws. Um, so just kind of like take a moment and like, thank y'all for listening. Um, because you know, we recently had like one of our episodes become like the first to reach 150 downloads and like, that's super exciting for us. Um, so like, thanks for listening. And, um, if you want to like reach out or chat with us or follow us on social media, um, our handles on Twitter and Instagram are at Best Pictures Pod, and you can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. It is. Thank you. Oh, for the- also, oh. sorry, one last oh. thing. Also, um, please like, you know, subscribe, rate, review, especially rate and review. That will help other people find us. Um, but yeah. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Maggie and I'm Ian. And uh, yeah, catch us next time for... Life of Emile Zola. Which, much more fun than The Great Another biopic. But better. But better. (laughs) (laughs) See y'all next time.